0: This is Oncopharm. I am your host, John Bazar. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice here at the Bill Gatton College of of Pharmacy uh, who supports this podcast. And today, uh, which is March 14th, 2019, we're going to talk about metastatic pancreatic cancer. And uh, this has been in the news recently because everyone's favorite game show host, Alex Trebek, is diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer, uh, as reported by widely reported widely by all uh, news media outlets. Now, I'm a big fan of Jeopardy, uh, and as you might expect for a guy who creates and hosts his own podcast where he talks to himself, uh, I have some know-it-all tendencies, if not, you know, a flat-out wannabe know-it-all. Um, Although I, I think I recognize that I don't know it all, um, so uh, regardless, Jeopardy—it's been around for a long time, and Trebek has been the host since 1984, the year after I was born. Uh, and for those of you listening abroad, or let's say it's 10 years from now, and you don't you don't know Jeopardy because you cut the cord, to cable, or whatever—it's um, a it's a game show, it's a trivia show uh, that comes on, you know, usually at 7:30. So in many households, they'll watch the the local news. Uh, the national news here in America, and then Wheel of Fortune, and then Jeopardy. And as a kid, uh, you know, your number one goal in life as a child is to go to bed later. And uh, this, is, this spans, you know, it's timeless. It spans all generations. And as a father of a three and six year old, this is, this is still true to this day. So this was one way I tried to negotiate with my parents to stay up later. Let me stay up and watch Jeopardy. It's educational, Mom. Uh, and that worked to some extent. So uh, it would be unwise to to speculate on Alex Trebek's disease course or how things are going to go, but it does serve as a scaffold for talking about uh, a pretty devastating disease. Um, And I think you all know, if you're listening to this, that pancreatic cancer is a bad disease. Even uh, if you're new to to oncology or oncology pharmacy, you have some idea that pancreatic cancer is a bad disease. Uh, And there are some reasons for that. And there's an excellent review article uh, in the New England Journal of Medicine from 2014. If you just Google, you know, NEJM pancreatic adenocarcinoma, you're gonna find that. Uh, So some of the risk factors for pancreatic cancer, smoking, having diabetes. Now these are, you know, a relative risk of two. Uh, so, so yeah, certainly risk factors, but not like smoking for lung cancer, so to speak. Uh, and about five to five to ten percent of patients with pancreatic cancer have a genetic syndrome associated with it. And there are several of these. There are some that have a lifetime risk of ten to twenty percent of pancreatic cancers. There's even one that has a fifty percent lifetime risk of having pancreatic cancer with a, this specific genetic um, syndrome. Those that have a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation can have a 1% to 2% lifetime risk of pancreatic cancer. So BRCA1, BRCA2 is not just a breast and ovarian cancer predisposing condition. Now, in pancreatic cancers, in about 90% of cases, there's some aberration in the KRAS pathway, in, in the ras Raf-MEK-kinase pathway, and about two-thirds of them have P53 abnormalities P53 is one of our uh, body's main tumor suppressor genes. So if you have you know, activation of KRAS, an oncogene, and inactivation of a tumor suppressor gene, that's the perfect recipe for cancer. One of the really great points of this as uh, as, as oncology pharmacist in this review article is, quote, abundant deposition of extracellular matrix around the tumor leads to compress- compression of blood vessels, which may be why pancreatic cancer is so thrombogenic. But... In addition to that extracellular matrix that's so dense, compressing blood vessels, it does limit drug delivery. And if we can't get drug to the cancer, we can't kill the cancer. So uh, that's some background. I'm going to move into some of the landmark studies. We're going to talk about three big landmark studies in the treatment of metastatic pancreatic cancer and one study that's not so landmark. So let's go back to 1997, Burris III and colleagues in JCO are writing. Now, 1997 is more than 20 years ago. So this is the year Titanic came out. And I may be the only person uh, on the planet that has not seen Titanic, but I have It's really long. My favorite movie of that year was Goodwill Hunting. I can't believe it's that old. So this study compared uh, gemcitabine to 5-FU in metastatic pancreatic cancer. Now, the gemcitabine dose was 1,000 milligrams per meter squared weekly times seven weeks then a week off, then weekly times three, a week off, weekly times three, week off. In practice, many patients, if any, can handle uh, the full dose of gemcitabine every week for seven weeks. They end up with thrombocytopenia and can't tolerate it. So many oncologists will start at the three weeks on, one week off, or even two weeks on, one week off. And this is important when we think about the survival rates we see because this is a regimen that's likely more aggressive with even gemcitabine than is seen in the community. <clears throat> So patients got gemcitabine or 5-FU, a 600 milligram per meter squared bolus once a week, every week. One of the things that makes this study very notable is that the primary endpoint in this study, and this is a study folks refer to when they say gemcitabine was approved based on um, you know quality of life. The primary endpoint is clinical benefit, which is, can, consisted of uh, three measures, pain, functional impairment, and weight loss. So the clinical benefit rate with gemcitabine was 23.8%. So 23.8% of patients had uh, you know, no worsening of pain or an improvement in pain on gemcitabine, or um, they maintained their same functional status or improved their functional status. They maintained their weight or they gained weight. So 23.8% clinical benefit with gemcitabine compared to 4.8% with 5-FU. And that's what got gemcitabine FDA approved. As a secondary measure, there was a statistically significant, again, as a secondary endpoint, uh, an improvement in median overall survival with gemcitabine, five point six months with gemcitabine, compared to four point four months with 5FU. And you might even consider 5FU to be what you would get with placebo. So, with the best treatment that you could get twenty years ago with gemcitabine, six month median overall survival. Uh, Let's move forward ten years to 2007 to the study that's not really a landmark study. So 2007, uh, there is a criticism today about movies. Why are we talking about movies so much? I don't know. Um, but there's a criticism about movies in America that too many of them are sequels or they're part of a franchise. There's not anything necessarily new. Uh, so here are the top grossing movies in order from 2007. Superman 3, Shrek the Third, Transformers, Pirates of the Caribbean, one of the sequels, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, um... Juno came out in 07, like Juno. No Country for Old Men. Love No Country for Old Men. Read the book, too. Uh, So anyway, and this is the year that we get gemcitabine compared to gemcitabine plus erlotinib. And maybe now you know why this isn't a landmark study, because we don't really use erlotinib anymore. So this came out in JCO 2007 by Moore and colleagues. This study got erlotinib approved. Median overall overall survival with gemcitabine, 5.9 months. Very similar to 5.6 months seen 10 years earlier, and again, we're not supposed to make those comparisons between study because patient demographics could be different, inclusion/exclusion criteria could be slightly different. Um, but we'll see that those numbers hold up for gemcitabine. So 5.9 month median overall survival with gemcitabine compared to 6.2 month to 6.2 months with erlotinib. That was statistically significant. That did get erlotinib FDA approved for pancreatic cancer at a dose of 100 milligrams a day in conjunction with gemcitabine. If you teach primary literature evaluation to learners and you want to find an example of a study that shows statistically significant improvement that is not clinically significant, this is probably a good study to use to teach that point. Uh, and So again, nowadays we don't use erlotinib uh, for these patients. Uh, let's go to 2013 now for the next landmark study I'm going to talk about. We're going to go back to 2011 for the last study though. But in 2013, Van Hoff and colleagues are writing in the New England Journal of Medicine a comparison of gemcitabine versus gempruss plus abraxine. Now in 2013, since we're talking about movies, this is your Dallas Buyers Club came out, which is looking at the early days of treating HIV and AIDS in America and has a really nuanced and, and interesting depiction about patients enrolled on clinical trials and how some of the first patients to receive AZT were harmed because the dose was too much and they developed myelosuppression because the researchers didn't know the right dose and subsequently learned that the dose needed to be lessened and then it worked fine for the HIV without causing as much myelosuppression. So kind of an interesting look at clinical trials, which are very important to advancing what we know about pharmacy and, or about oncology. So anyway, back to this gem versus gemabraxing. That same dose of gemcitabine weekly times seven uh, with a week off and weekly times three followed by four. Median overall survival for gemcitabine was 6.7 months, gem plus abraxane, which is nanoparticle albumin-bound paclitaxel, and that was dosed at 125 milligrams per year squared for three weeks on, one week off. So 6.7 months with gemcitabine compared to 8.5 months with gemcitabine plus abraxane. So almost a two-month improvement in median overall survival. And again, that gemcitabine median overall survival is now 6.7 months, but we're more than, uh, you know, Ten, almost We are 15 years after that first gemcitabine study. If you compared the same regimen now versus 20 years ago, the folks getting the same regimen now are gonna do better than those that got it 20 years ago because of other advances in medicine. So now let's go to the fourth and final, no sorry, the third and final of our landmark study that we're gonna talk about. And this was published uh, by Conroy and colleagues in 2011 in the New England Journal of Medicine. This is the year Moneyball came out. Uh, which was based on a fascinating book looking at um, uh, the Oakland A's, a major league baseball team that didn't have a ton of money, so to stay competitive, they targeted undervalued players, so players who they could get on the cheap that had some sort of value no one else saw. And this has now become a term that people use about the money ball of banking or the money ball of education or the money ball of medicine are trying to find uh, avenues or, or characteristics that are beneficial that no one else has quite seen yet and therefore you can get them on the cheap and this is a you know drug development has somewhat taken on this approach of can we instead of spending lots and lots of time and money finding new compounds can we look at old compounds that maybe can be reused in different ways that can be beneficial Uh, also this is a year 50-50 came out a movie about a cancer diagnosis where guess what 50-50 if the guy will live and I only point this, this movie out because it has a great depiction. It's about a minute and a half of what happens to a patient uh, in this movie when he received his cancer diagnosis and how after the word cancer is mentioned, everything else the oncologist says is not heard because all he's focusing on is the cancer diagnosis. Uh, so anyway, gemcitabine compared to fulfurinox. So gemcitabine is dosed the same way it is in all these studies because uh, it's the FDA reference. Uh, dosing now, in, again in clinical practice, very few patients receive this dose compared to Fulfiranox. Median overall survival for Gemcitabine, six point eight months. Median overall survival for Fulfiranox, eleven point one months. So this is a, a pretty large, a four month improvement in median overall survival. So you're going from six months and improving it by four, or going from six point eight and improving it by four. Pretty large improvement in median overall survival. So that's what we know currently about treating metastatic pancreatic cancer. So because the disease can be so debilitating and patients can have a a very low performance status when they come in, we kind of have tiers uh, or levels of aggressiveness as far as the treatment regimens. So the patient who comes in who wants treatment but is not a great candidate for treatment because maybe they're an ECOG of two, low performance status, gemcitabine might be the best option. Then you could have somebody who has a better performance status than that, but is not real fit, and maybe you worry that patient could tolerate Fulfurinox, well then gemcitabine plus Abraxane becomes a reasonable option. And then for someone who comes in a young patient, real fit, ECOG zero, newly diagnosed, really wants to be as aggressive as possible, you have Fulfurinox. And hopefully in the future, we'll get better treatment options as well, uh, because as as we all know, it is a bad disease, and, and everyone wishes everyone with this disease the best. Thanks for listening. Um, it's always a pleasure to uh, to talk to you. I would uh, encourage you to and be delighted if you would follow me on Twitter at PharmDetanib. Follow the podcast at OncoFarmPod. If Instagram uh, is working, you can find me there uh, at OncoFarmPod. Uh, and I would also would love it if you go to the iTunes store, give us a five-star rating or a nice review. Tell me what you want to hear next week and we'll make it happen. Uh, but as always, thanks for listening and remember, Doses matter.